Welcome to the Talent to Learn Show podcast series, episode 24, with independent learning tech analyst John Lee. Today, I interview Paul Morton, Regional Director of Europe and Americas for cross-knowledge about high-impact learning. You can find more of our fiercely independent content at talenttolearning.com. Well, like always, I'm excited for today's interview. On this show, I'm fortunate to interview the world's leading experts in extended enterprise learning technology solutions from both the vendor and the practitioner perspective. Today, back for the second time on my show, my guest is Paul Morton. Paul's been living learning technology, education, training, strategy, and theory for almost 25 years and is now a senior executive at one of the learning tech industry's most exciting companies, CrossKnowledge. Welcome back, Paul. Welcome to the Talented Learning Show again. Thanks for joining me today. John, it's absolutely my pleasure to be here. It's always good fun to have a conversation with you about our favorite topics. Yeah, no doubt, Paul. Uh, we're looking forward to continuing the conversation from last time and, and digging deep uh, the enthusiasm and passion uh, for the topic of uh, online learning and education uh, uh, from you. It's, it's just fantastic. And, and so uh, we got such good feedback from the last time you were on the show. And uh, so we're looking forward to continuing to, to hear some of your wisdom and advice. And you know, we have a webinar uh, coming up in uh, September that we're, we're planning for. And one of the things that you know, we're talking about in, in this webinar, you and I, is about high-impact learning. And learning professionals often talk about the importance of high-impact learning, but I'm not sure everybody knows it until they see it. Uh, but your organization has a very specific definition uh, what is it, and could you tell us a little bit about it to start the conversation? Of course. I mean, high-impact learning. Well, shouldn't I just be learning? Learning that actually <laughs> works. I mean, most of the stuff that we do, if it's not high-impact learning, I think it's, what is that, skateboarding down a hill into traffic? I mean, it's most of the stuff that most people do, I think, most of the learning that most people do in organizations, they do it because they get a punishment letter through the post, right? Through the mail, there you go, I'm translating and localizing already. So you get this letter through the mail that says, thou shalt perform thy compliance training immediately or be punished. And away <laughs> you go and you off you go and you do that thing. It's very motivating. And, yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. Of course it's motivating. And it genuinely is motivating. There's not a piece of compliance training that I've been told to do that I haven't done. Because if you don't do it, you get in trouble. Now, as extrinsic motivation goes, I think that's fairly high in the list. Do this. Or, or keeping you lose your employment. I think adults are slightly differently motivated. We're more about the intrinsic motivation. We want to self-develop ourselves. So the, the high impact learning, I think, comes when you really consider the difference between two wonderful words, andragogy and pedagogy. Now, everybody talks, and you might have heard, especially if you listen to this podcast and you listen to John, who's a learning expert. We all talk about learning, and learning is about Pedagogy, that's a lovely word. And it means, it's a, it's a Greek word, it means the guiding of children. Peda, child, and agogy, I think it is, which is the, the guiding part. But if you guide children, if you talk about children's learning, they are led by a teacher. They don't have any intrinsic experience. There's nothing for them to use as a rich resource of learning. They have to build in their experiences. They are, they're, they're not Children are oriented by subjects. So today we're going to learn reading or mathematics or science. Adults are oriented by, I need to solve this problem. I need to learn about this thing. Adults want to learn because they know why. Children learn when they're told to go and learn. Does this sound familiar? I mean, the whole children thing, you're led by a teacher or a coach. 
It's assumed you have no experience. You're taught a subject. You're told what to learn. You're extrinsically motivated. Do this or else. Do this and get a certificate. That is really a lot about how people approach learning in a professional environment. And it's not high impact. You might get a bit of a result at the end of the day, but it's not high impact. A big part of the job in L&D, in learning and development, I think, is to really help people develop their skills. And I'm, I'm fairly sure that anybody who's listening to this has already been asked at some point to design some learning process that produces some results. <laughs> it's kind of the kind of the sine qua non of the game. And can you have that done by Friday? And that would be good as well. But you want results that last. How do you do long-lasting results? It's, it's daunting. So this this is a challenge that prompted there was a group of researchers and they wanted to go away and look at learning practices among adults, surprisingly. So the aim of these researchers, just like most of our aim really, was to create an effective and engaging learning method. So what they did is they went away and they identified seven building blocks and they called this the Hill model, high impact learning that lasts. And the, the high impact learning that lasts model is all about learning in adults, young and old, in professionals, in experts. It's about, it's about the possibilities we have to inspire, to support people as they go through their working lives, their lives in general. And then how we can then create value for our societies. So that's value today immediately and value tomorrow. And I really, really believe that what we have to have is a completely new mindset. In fact, you know what? It's not even a new mindset. It's a very old mindset. We have to go back and think about the approach where we're putting learners in the driving seat of their own developmental processes and that we are supporting them in ways that make impact. So we've got about 20 years of research telling us that we're not, we're not doing this right. 20 years of research that says, the way that we teach people doesn't work. If you teach adults, like you teach children, you're going to get children children's results at the end of it. You're not going to get meaningful skills improvements. So I think that we have an opportunity here that the next generation of adults could learn with greater impact. So if we had to reduce the training programs that we're building, boil these things down to their absolute essence, or the, the key actions, that are needed to create impact on these learners and on their learning, what would it look like? What would such a, a grouping, collection, cohesion, curation of learning thingies look like? Well, in the Hill model, this high impact learning that last model, it answers, it precisely answers that question. And it gives you seven nice clear building blocks to build a learning program in such a way that it actually sticks bring it to life like what is what does something like that look like uh if it's not mandatory and you can't tell somebody what to do and you have to develop that desire in them or uh, harness that desire or inflame that desire one of those and how do you do that what's that look like well the, the seven blocks the seven elements it's like all these great models out there you know there's a one of my colleagues, my friends, he says that all models are wrong, but some models are useful. So, and this is this is a model that's useful, and I think it's mostly right. It feels right. I mean, as a learning professional, I've been floating around adult education, adult learning for 20 odd years now. 
And it just makes good sense. It's the idea that you need to make people want to know something. There needs to be a degree of urgency in what we're creating. You need to let people to share the information that they've got, share their know-how, collaborate together. You need to mix up online and offline experiences. You need to give people the control to choose. The more people can decide for themselves and the more choices they have, the more motivated they are to learn. If you feel the urgency to know something, they'll spend the energy to learn it. Learning in, in teams that are well coached that brings you into this beautiful state of flow. There's Mikachik's in the high. He writes about the, the state of flow in work, being in flow. And finding that moment where you can uh, build learning that brings you into that state. And it is immensely powerful. And then there's a, uh, a few key things as well that basically includes things like assessment as learning. So you take an online course at the end of the thing, you do a test. Congratulations, you've passed the thing up the test. That's, that's not an assessment, that's a test. It's different. An assessment really, um, it's, it's, it gives you frequent feedback. It gives you, it helps you to monitor what you're doing to drive you to learn more. Um, and and it's, it avoids having to use these sort of thing, tests at the end of the course. So what, is it, what does it look like? Well, it looks, I think, a lot like a, an experience, a learning experience rather than a course. And it's, it's an experience made up of lots of different blocks. And it's relatively straightforward to build. It's not easy because nothing, nothing good is easy. It's not easy, but it is relatively straightforward to build. Why and how did you develop this particular framework? Well, I would love to take credit for it. Absolutely. <laughs> it was me, right after I won my first, my first Nobel Prize and I invented the internet, I developed this. No, oh, not really. Sweet. It was a lovely pair of people called Philip Doshi and Mean Seegers. And this was the result of 25 years of academic research on their behalf. Now, Philip Doshi, he's uh, one of our faculty. He's a professor of corporate training and development about, oh, I don't know, he's like a dozen universities all over the world. And they were working on this amazing piece of research, and they looked scientifically at it. They looked dynamically at it, pragmatically at it, top to bottom. And really what they were trying to find out was how effective the model was and could it be used in practice. Because you know the problem with lots of theories that never works in practice, you know? So they built this framework. And so yes, you can see the model is itself, it's completely brand new, but the component parts are a lot older. There was an educational philosopher, a chap called John Dewey, he's back in 1938, and he wrote about learning by doing. And built, building upon that, and all the new learning science, brain science even, that has come out just in the last 15, 20 years. There's so much there that this this meta study that they put together really provided a lot of strong argu arguments for all of us to sit back and think about changing the views that we had on learning. Going away from this uh, this lecture approach that we have towards something that's more active, more more hybrid, more based on science. We know that the old stuff doesn't really work very well. If you've been to college, how many lectures did you sit through and think, I could have bought the book and I could be in the bar by now, rather than something where it was one of the better workshops you were doing and you get your hands or your mind dirty 
and you really started to engage in the topic and you were talking to people, that's how we know we learn better. And so what these studies prove, proved was that if you use these new ways of learning and new ways of building learning activities, which is more important because it's how you build it that matters, you can double the impact, double it compared to the, the older ways, the passive ways of sitting back and hoping that something would land in your forehead. So when you won that Nobel for development... It was a thing. It was a thing. It, it was a thing. Uh, but perhaps, uh, you know, uh, you didn't develop it, of course, uh, but you did develop the technology uh, now that facilitates this and make this makes this all come to life so that you can achieve those double results uh, you know, maybe we could talk a little bit about how you did bring this to life from, from theory to practice. Well, I mean, my company, Cross Knowledge, we've, we've really benefited from this Hill model. We've been working in workplace learning and corporate education now for almost 20 years, and we think we're doing quite well. Uh, in the workplace, people are still trained as if they were in school, and they go through this methodology that really hits, what, 5% impact if you're lucky. But if you do it right, if you build it better, you can have more success. And we are today, I think, pretty successful at this. If you think back about 20 odd years, people went crazy for distance learning. It was the, the magic wand, the panacea that would save all the money in the world. The promise was that you could have huge reach, at a low cost, huge impact, reach everybody, everybody could learn everything. And now, 20 years later, we're still saying the same stuff. We still think that if I give people access to much, much more, much, much more, much, much more and more and more stuff, things will change. We've reached peak stuff. I don't know what your garage looks like, John, but I tell you, I've reached peak stuff. So we don't need more stuff. If I need to find out something, I'll go Google it. Access is not the problem. Access to learning isn't the problem. It's disengagement. It's relevance. These are the challenges that people have with learning. It's the fact that when you come to want to learn something new, you've really got to have a reason for it. You can't be given a punishment letter and be told to go away and learn something. You can't. Your performance review, your manager turns to you and says, oh, Paul, you might need some uh, you know, some of this diplomacy training because you're about as diplomatic as a brick through a plate glass window. Well, thanks, boss. Um, okay, I'm not going to go and do anything. It's not for me. It's, I'm not engaged in that. So this disengagement is part of the thing. So what we did, part to try and actually create a, a, an answer to the, the challenge of disengagement is we built a thing called Blendedex, and it's full array of teaching activities. And we built into it this blended learning approach, and it combines offline with online, so you have some face-to-face, -face rich interactions, great learner engagement, and you can orchestrate groups, pull people together, let them collaborate, and really leverage the all the aspects of the Hill model. You can build in urgency into your programs. You can give agency to your learners. It's in your control. You can help people to take action and to share their experiences. You can help people to collaborate and you can even coach them online. It's um, You can balance the, the learning that you're creating between face-to-face -face and uh, 
distance or digital learning. You can make it flexible between the formal and the informal. You can help create the spontaneous, unplanned. You can, <laughs> that sounds a bit. How do you create something that's spontaneous and unplanned? You can create. You can allow people to shape and have the opportunity to take un, to have unplanned experiences because that again increases the impact. So all these seven different things layered on top of each other, including vitally assessment as learning, really starts to hit the impact levers there. Mm-hmm. Now, there was a, a study by a lovely chap called Dr. Weeman, and he surveyed 500 learners. Now, I, I've got to say before that, that the whole model itself was tested. I mean, this was a meta study of about 1,500 different scientific studies, and that covered about 2 million learners. These were studies from cognitive psychology, from learning science, from context-specific learning, all these different things. So this is where the models come from. But this one study where Dr. Wyman surveyed about 500 learners, and he did an A-B test. There was an A-B test, and the researchers split these groups into two. 250 on the left, 250 on the right. Now, both groups at the same time to study the same subject and took exactly the same final assessment. The only difference was in the learning method. Okay? Group one, great, highly respected trainer. It was a traditional learning pathway, training pathway with highly interactive content. Group two, inexperienced, young trainer following carefully the principles in the Hill model. Adding more discussion, adding groups adding ongoing feedback. The assessment from group one, the traditional experienced, beloved trainer, 41%. The assessment from group two by the young, inexperienced trainer following the rules, 74%. Wow. 41 to 74. It's a crazy difference. Wow. So how can you apply that inside of training and development? I would start with compliance. I would always start with compliance. Yeah, absolutely. If you have the opportunity that of something that is business critical, you're in learning development and you don't embrace compliance as an opportunity, then I, I don't know what you're doing. If you think of compliance as a burden, you're doing the wrong thing. If you're in learning and development in HR and you're not, you don't realize that you're actually in sales, you're doing it wrong. Your job is to look at something, find the opportunity, and then sell it to your business. A compliance training course where your organization, your board has mandated that it shall be done thus. We have to basically cover our backsides. Hopefully, what you're trying to say is we want to be better people rather than cover our backsides and decrease our insurance carrier. We want to be better people. We don't want to hurt people. We want to look after people. This has been mandated from your organization. Seize it with both hands. Carpe learning am. Right? Seize that opportunity and build something that's amazing. Build something that people talk about, that people want to do. Because if you have this opportunity to build something that's probably well-funded, that's mandated from your organization, and you can start a ball rolling that might never end, and you build into that compliance training the seven key pillars of the Hill model, you help create urgency. It's urgent. Number one, it's compliance because it's important that we don't do bad things. You build the opportunities for people to 
to, to talk to each other, to, to learn by doing, having a bit of diverse coaching age, experience and backgrounds. Uh, encourage snack learning, you know, by sharing, maybe providing a platform to exchange information, some exp experiences. And then you build hybridization into this. You, you have a, a variety between the online learning and the offline face-to-face -face that's going on. You, you invest some time for somebody to keep chat boards going. You, the, the bits and pieces you can do here. Then the challenge in compliance is learner agency. Again, a key pillar. It's important that learners are in charge of their own learning and make their own choices and they manage their own learning pathways. Make them feel that they're in command. Let them participate in goal setting. Give them critical but constructive feedback. Give, give them opportunities to excel in elements of the, of the course. And then you break it into small groups where you can. Allow collaboration in groups, coaching in groups. I mean, working collaboratively in small groups, it really enhances learning. And any coaching you can get from managers or tutors or mentors increases performance. It just does. And then you have some the, the, the flexibility built into this. When your own learning track is flexible, it's not overloaded, it gives you some space between what you're doing, you'll like it more. It's not a two-hour DVD horror show that you have to go through. And some frequent feedback as assessment. And it's either used as a way to start or as a way of monitoring what you do, what you're doing through the course, and it'll help you to, to, to maintain people's drive. If you can encompass all of these different things, and you have the huge opportunity of seizing on a compliance, op uh, a compliance requirement, hey, what's not to like? Because that, I think, is how anybody can change anything. Mm -hmm. Well, uniquely, uh, you folks have been you know, tracking skills uh, for a decade and popular skills and tying that to content and really you know, using skills as a, as, as a foundation. But uniquely uh, in the industry is the other side of that is I think a lot of organizations conceptually get skills and competencies and, you know, the need for them, but where it fall, all falls apart is content. You know, how do you, where, where's the, the, the lining up of the skills and the content? And uh, you folks, just by the nature of uh, being a part of Wiley, which maybe you could describe, um, have plugged that, uh, uh, solved that problem of, of content and skills or are solving that in kind of a unique way. Why don't you comment on that? It's, it's really unique in the industry. Everybody looks for something that's shiny and new, and everybody wants to be shiny and new. And Crosstown is pretty shiny and new, but our legacy is, is elegant, is profound, and it's vastly empowering. And I'm sometimes quite humbled to be working for an organization that's 210 years old. Wow. And for an American, I understand that this is quite a long time. For, even for a European, it's, it's a reasonably respective <laughs> length of time. You know, I have, I have a local football team that's older than the country of Italy. Okay? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a thing. So and when Napoleon was marching in Moscow and Thomas Jefferson was president of your United States, there was a chap called Charles Wiley in Manhattan printing books. That's a long, long time ago. And those books went in to found the Library of Congress. That's our legacy. That's where we come from. And we add into this the cross-knowledge capabilities. 
in understanding how people learn. And this is fundamental red thread that goes all the way from the very first collections of printed material all the way through to the digital age. And we are at the very forefront of enabling people to improve themselves. And by improving themselves, they improve their companies. And by improving their companies, we improve the world. The skills that people need are still the same. It's leadership. Lincoln was a leader. It's communication and negotiation. It's critical thinking. Uh, Churchill was a critical thinker. It's entrepreneurship. Richard Branson's an entrepreneur. It's adaptability, flexibility. We're, we're, we're here today and it's, it's the anniversary of landing on the moon. Adaptability, yeah. The guy saw boulders in his landing site and he manually piloted the spacecraft. It's teaching and training. It's interpersonal skills, empathy. It's creativity. These are skills that have been around for a long time and they're still core and they're still core for a reason. And the reason is we're not doing it right. But we, you know what? We've done it right now. We've worked out how to do it now and now it works and it works really really well we think we've cracked it we think we know how to recommend the right skills to the right learner we think we know how to deal with delivering good quality content good quality learning design that will deliver skills transfer getting it into people's heads and we know how to build a sticky experience for people and all of these things together i think really helps us to bring a huge amount of value to the organizations that we partner with every day Excellent. So for organizations that want to implement a high impact learning that last approach, you know, based on the Hill model, uh, based on skills, what advice would you give them? You know, what should they consider before getting started? I would say you need to be creative. Get creative and invest in improving your learning paths, your learning experiences. Don't think about content, but think about creating a learning experience. You can get this right straight out of the gate. Adjust the mindset. You're not going to get it right instantly. The mindset you need to have is one where you can improve and continually readjust according to your learner's needs. And that, I think, is going to get you a lot further than either trying to plan yourself into a corner or going down the wrong path of delivering something that's not fit for purpose. It's dare to be creative. That's what I would say. There you have it. Sage advice. Paul Morton, Regional Director of Europe and Americas for CrossKnowledge. Paul, thanks so much for your time, your enthusiasm, experience, and advice. Uh, it's so great to hear about your progress and uh, what you envision for the future here of the, the merging of uh, long-held theory and, and uh, the wonders of technology uh, and combining them both so everybody learns uh, better and uh, more efficiently and, and more wisely and not like children. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate it. Thank you, John. My pleasure. Thank you, audience, for tuning in to another episode of the Talented Learning Show podcast series. You can find more of our fiercely independent content at talentedlearning.com. Have a great day.